Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 370 featuring Andrew Orloff, who is VFX supervisor, but more importantly, the owner of Zoic. Uh, and it was really great to see him. I actually want to thank Aaron Kuferman for uh, recommending him and connecting me with him so that I would be able to do this podcast. Although Zoic has been a customer of Chaos for many, many years and they're a really great partner. So it was really cool to talk to him. But it was really cool to see, listen to his backstory, right, Kristen? Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I, we've worked with them for so many years. And so this was a great podcast, just learning how he started off um, himself, which was like kind of PAing, doing graphic design. Um, and then he started learning um, after hours at the place he worked um, how to use Alias Power Animator on SGI. Um, and then he went on to like work in uh, television broadcast, visual effects, which he's very passionate about. Um, and he was actually the first technical technical director on South Park, which is cool. Um, and then kind of after his contracts and freelances expired, he and his friends decided they just wanted to start a company that they wanted to work for and that uh, had a passion for broadcast visual effects. Um, and he kind of goes into that. And now they have 450 employees worldwide. Um, and they actually worked from home before COVID. And he really goes into that, how it's actually, it's better um so that was just interesting how they have that all situated and how they kind of a hybrid office um and yeah I, and you guys kind of talk about uh, real-time um development and how they get their jobs now and how, what discussions look like in pre with the directors and dps so yeah it's really it it's really, really interesting. And I think what was one of the things that, you know, like I always discover new things when I talk to people, which is why I love doing this podcast. But one of the things that was interesting that he told me about what changed, because obviously Zoic is well known for doing a lot of episodic work, but episodic work used to be very seasonal because, you know, you'd have this fall is when the episode comes out, then you have, you know, your pilot season and all that. So it was very much like this up and flow, up and flow. But ever since streaming happened, those seasons kind of changed and went away. So it made it such a much more sort of uh, uh, like stable. There's always sort of like something going on in some way. So it was really interesting to see, um, you know, to hear those stories and see what's going on there. So I was, I was, I loved it. I thought it was a great, uh, great interview with Andrew and I really appreciate him coming on. Um, now, uh, we got something special going on with Exceptional Minds. Kristen, why don't you tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, so April is Autism Awareness or Autism Acceptance Month um, and Chaos. We are highlighting some of their upcoming graduates um, at Exceptional Minds. And this week we have Andrew Rosengard, and he will be graduating with an emphasis in VFX. Um, and you can check his work out on Creatively. And we'll link his Creatively link and um, real link in our podcast page. Um, but yeah, we just want to like, you know, help the students with finding jobs after they graduate. Um, and you can also find out more about Exceptional Minds at exceptional-minds.org and go to social. Perfect. Uh, I think it's really cool. I love working with Exceptional Minds. I think what they're doing is absolutely fantastic in terms of training people who are on the spectrum and figuring out the best ways to train them and the, cha uh, the challenges there, but also being able to get the most out of these amazing people that otherwise would have a hard time uh, you know, finding the right place or finding acceptance. And the other thing I really like about Exceptional Minds is not only do they help uh, specifically the, the people that are uh, that are being trained in this area, but they actually help employers uh, be understand how to to work with uh, with with people on the spectrum and how to, be, to get the most out of them as well that way. So I just thought they're a wonderful group. I'm happy to help them and really happy to feature uh, Andrew's reel this week. So what we'll do is if you're watching the video format of this, we did this last week. Uh, if you're watching the video format of this, we will be featuring this uh, his uh, his reel right after we do this intro, and then we'll jump into the podcast after that. Uh, but go ahead and check it out. Uh, and just go to their site, exceptional-minds.org. So really happy to have them on board for that. Uh, now, uh, we do have, and obviously you guys may have seen, there's an announcement that came out last week about chaos and a merger. If you want to know more about that, you can definitely go uh, find out uh, about the, the next merger that happened recently uh, uh, that is uh, available on our website. Uh, so just go to chaos.com to find more about that. But if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? 
You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any other ideas for podcasts or suggestions, please let us know. Just go to labs at chaosgroup.com. That's our email. Again, that is labs at chaosgroup.com. And of course, leave us an Apple review and a rating. That's always appreciated. But otherwise, please enjoy this amazing podcast with Andrew Orloff of Zoic. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're going to fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. That's good. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks for doing this, Andrew. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about stuff. Obviously, I've been wanting to talk to, uh, you know, people at Zoic, and uh, uh, I have spoken to people at Zoic a lot. But it really talking about what you know what you guys are doing, and you've been there since the very beginning. Am I right? Uh, yeah, since day one. I'm one of the founders and one of the owners, and uh, yeah. currently the technically the president of the BC office and one of the executive creative directors. So. Uh, Still get, That's a lot of yeah, <laughs> and uh, I still and I'm also um, leading the charge on our effort to integrate uh, Unreal Engine in real time into our uh, pipeline right now. In a variety cool. Of ways. I definitely yeah. want to talk to talk about that mm-hmm. as well. But what what how did you get into computer graphics? Like when did that all start? Well, um, it's one of those stories where. You know, it's 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 1977, San Francisco, California, and I'm sitting uh-huh. there watching the crawl for you know, the original Star Wars movie, and yep. just was completely enamored by it, and just uh, ravenously sought out and devoured any information at the time that was relevant to that. Mostly, you know, magazines like Fangoria, Cinema Fantastique. Um, you know, there are no DVD special features or there was no Nomen or Full Sail or anything like that uh, or Art Institute. So um, and I started making my own stuff, you know, on Super 8, Claymation, messing around um, and decided um, our public school system had just recently been delivered a uh fresh new batch of Apple IIe computers with dual disk drives. Nice. And uh, so I was uh, very interested in that and stayed after class and said, you know what, this whole thing of art and filmmaking and computers um, is for me, and it's been a lifelong obsession of mine at CEO. And I ended up going to UCLA Film School, centering in filmmaking mm-hmm. and animation, and it's been my only job ever. Uh, other than working in a movie theater when I was in high school. <laughs> okay. Well, that's still yes. in the movies. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so, so what, what, where, where did you get your, your first start as, as your first job in, in, in uh, visual My effects? first real so, job in visual effects. I had some uh, computer graphics experience. I was working with a company that was converting movies to CD-ROM. Um, and I, at the time I didn't know anything about, um, other than what I could do on my Apple that at that point I had purchased, uh, Macintosh SE from my old, my roommate when we graduated, I bought it, bought it from Uh him and I was learning Photoshop, but, and doing all that stuff, but there wasn't anything moving, you know, on there. And I was, uh, PAing. And taking, uh, also working, doing uh, graphic design. It was something that, at the time, if you were into art and you knew how to use a Macintosh, you could do, you could get a graphic design job. <laughs> you didn't have to have much right. more training than yeah. that. So I was doing some graphic design right. and covers, and there was a guy doing UI design. Um, mm-hmm. and, and he was working on a Silicon Graphics workstation. And uh, I was just peeking over his shoulder and I knew, you know, this was just before Jurassic Park came out. And I knew that these were the machines that they were using to kind of do some of the stuff up to that point. And so I asked if I could stay um, 
after hours to learn on the machine for free. So I did that at night, learned how to use um, alias power animator, alias power animator uh -huh. on the on an, on an SGI. Yep. Um, and that um, at that time, the user base for that software was so low that I got onto a list, you know, um, f funny uh, people from way back, you know, Dave Marin, who's now I work with, we worked together on our mm -hmm. Unreal projects. He was there and I, yeah. and I was one of the people that they would put out, you know, when they sold the machines, like this person knows how to work this right. machine, <laughs> call, call them. And so quickly I got, right. um, I, um, and the interesting part for me is not only has my whole career been in visual effects, but my whole career has been television broadcast visual effects because my first right. job, um, and this is a very, uh, you know, this group of people ended up doing a lot of things. We were working at a post facility. At that time, most of the visual effects were connected to the dub houses and the post facilities uh -huh. as an extra service. And we were working on uh, Saban shows. We were working on Power Rangers. We were working on VR Troopers. We were working on Beetleborgs. And we were taking the, sh the, the footage from Japan and recreating, you know, a lot of the vehicles and some of the monsters in CG and handing them off to flame compositors and uh, cutting it together with the footage that they shot in Valencia. Right. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of people that ended up having big positions at Sony, um, working with the uh, uh, visual effects producer that ended up working on Game of Thrones, um, this encore, so many folks, you know, we had a, we had a, a, a little crucible there of learning while we were working when we were younger, let's uh -huh. say. It was a lot, a lot younger now, because that was 1994, 1995, yep. around there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's an interesting... Start of your, of yeah. your career, yeah. definitely exciting. Yeah, how where where did things go from there? Like, how what sort of led you to the to the to the place where you? Ended yeah, up I I bounced around <laughs> a lot because the easiest thing to do at that point was to freelance. Um, so right. I uh, bounced around. I was one of the uh, original technical directors on South Park. That was a fun gig. I did a nice. lot of Super Bowl commercials, a lot of music videos. You know, jumping around from you know, 525 and um, uh, Pixel Envy, which was later became uh, mm -hmm. Lola and uh, Hydraulics. Um, so mm -hmm. just getting to know everybody in that time period and, 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 and bouncing around. And I, you know, eventually landed on a staff job working at some folks with a company called Radium. And we had been working oh, yeah. together. Uh, that was Lonnie Perister, Chris Jones, we had been mm -hmm. working together off and on. Um, I was a really big fan of uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and they they did that show. So I uh, would work with them on a freelance basis, and then made that permanent um, in around 2000. And that's you know when we started doing. We were doing a bunch of music videos, and then the pilot for Firefly came along, and then our contracts expired there, and we decided to take a run at starting our own company um, made wow. by, you know, working artists with an eye towards bringing a passion, particularly towards broadcast visual effects and also um, just making a, the company that we wanted to work for basically. <laughs> it was, was, this was the simple idea. And uh, right. that was 20 years ago, almost to the, almost wow. to the day, pretty close to it. It'll be 20 years ago this year. In, that's, that's yeah. really great. That's really great. In fact, that's interesting because chaos or V-Ray is about to celebrate its 20th oh, nice. anniversary yeah. this year. So, yeah. so <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's really fascinating. So quick, before we get too far, what, when you were doing CG, I mean, obviously you were supervising a bunch of stuff, but what was your thing? Were you more of a compositor or a lighter In, interesting. Uh, animator? And In, in, in this, <laughs> this comes full circle because when I talk about real time, it's kind of happening again. I mean, I was talking to uh -huh. a friend of mine, my college roommate, um, is one of the uh, environment supervisors over at Tippet, and we we chat, um, and we were talking about real time, and he's like, you know, every time technology makes this huge jump, kind of nobody knows really what to do with it, and when people come into it, they come, they approach it very generalized. You know, there's right. not a lot of definition between the tasks. So aside from 
you know, we all needed to know how to composite because we had to test our composites before, but that was just early shit mm-hmm. command line shake, you know, it was kind of the right. kind of type of tools we were using. But we literally did as a, as a, as a, as a CG artist, a power animator user, mm-hmm. we did everything. We did all right. the modeling, all the texturing, all the camera tracking by eye, by hand. There's no, <laughs> no tracking software, all the animation, all the lighting, rigging, everything, um, dynamics. And that uh, has served me pretty well because as I got into quickly, that put me in a position of being a CG supervisor since I had a, had a good handle on the whole process. And then shortly after that, visual effects supervision. And I've been visual effects supervising pretty much since we started Zoic. Okay. And, and creative directing that makes, yeah, at that, that level. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you start you start this company. You said that you start start a company that you'd actually want to work for, uh, which is a great way of putting mm-hmm. <laughs> putting it. Where where did you, where was your first office? Well, very briefly, we were in Sunset Gower Studios and um, in a very magnanimous and um, and and uh, uh, gesture. Another company, Eden Effects, which we knew a lot of people, they were working on. They were a lightwave house that was doing a lot of uh, the Star Trek stuff. A sub mm-hmm. let us some space, and there were 12 of us. And we didn't stay there okay. for very long. We were there for about six months, I think, maybe mm-hmm. less. And then we, we used that time to find ourselves. And, and we were, you know, our computer, our render farm was racked up in, you know, two by fours that we had got from Home Depot, you know, down at and in Hollywood. And it was very, very right. bootstrappy. Very bootstrappy. We were all on top of each other. We named the company there. Um and then we found a lease on a place in Culver City, um, down uh-huh. by uh, across the river from the Seas Candy down in the um in that in that district there with Pittard Sutherland 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 was there. Um, and that, now yeah. it's all, you know, Apple and everybody's down there. We're still in the same space. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you've been in that office since yep. the beginning yep. then. From just about the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was editorial right. space well, and we've been, we've been there for a while in, um, 2010, we made a, a brief, a small investment in Canada to help support the work we were doing for Battlestar Galactica previs and support mm-hmm. comp, um, to help, do the tax credit Then we got a bunch of other shows that I was heavily involved in um, that we did as a split between BC and LA for the pilot. And then they picked up the show that was once upon a time, which was like a huge amount of CG work. They wanted it to be essentially all in Canada. And we had only, we only had a staff of about 25 people at that time. And we needed mm-hmm. to go up to more like 200 people to do the a show of that scale. So that was in 2012. I moved, relocated to run the BC office. So I spent half the half the half of Zoic's years, uh, you know, running things in, in in from the episodic side in LA, and then half of it running the production side in in BC. Wow. Okay. Well, that's. That's huge. But okay, just go, go back a little bit. What was your first? What was the first gig you guys got at Zoic? Like, what was the first show you? Guys we had a great start. Very lucky. Yeah, so grateful. Um, we started with Firefly. That's yes, yeah. a big right. Yeah. So we started. <laughs> we started with show. <laughs> Angel, and we started with Buffy. Those three shows. We had we had okay. all of Joss Whedon's television shows at that at that point. That's, That's what we used as kind of collateral to start the company, and then quickly, you know, reputation kind of. So we started doing much a lot more work for Warner Brothers and getting involved in Battlestar and other shows that are really popular at the time, like CSI. You know, uh, you know, fun stuff like Doctor Horrible. You know, like there's there's there was a lot of good projects then. Right. Now, how how did you? How did you, did you guys have a relationship with Josh Whedon? Like, how did you guys get that gig? Yeah, so um, Lonnie, <laughs> uh, Lonnie, uh, our, one, one of our, our, you know, our other owners and, and, and co-founder, um, was the visual effects supervisor on that show since the beginning. Okay. So he was on set with, with uh, Joss and um, mm-hmm. continued, the, you know, a relationship all through that, the, that early television period. So that was, that was the right. connection. We also did the, okay. the 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 Firefly movie Serenity. Right. Yeah. Yes, of course. I was going to ask that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really great. Those are those are great shows. So the, yeah. So you guys are 
you guys had an earmark for success right from the beginning. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had we had a, we had a great you know uh, start off the block for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So though, so so those are sort of you know like you said those are some of the, your your first shows and you guys expanded your Vancouver. I mean, how big is your Vancouver office now? Is this still around two hundred or? Well, we're at we're approaching four hundred and fifty uh, worldwide right now, and I think okay. I think about th- oh, approaching three hundred of those are in Vancouver. We have more people than we've ever okay. had, and we have more people in Vancouver than we've had. We're about 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 the 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 highest we've ever been, and and okay. it's it it should be noted that um, we are uh, entirely work from home. You know, uh, we're a high hybrid. Technically we do offer office space, but we offer all mm-hmm. of our employees the opportunity to work from home full time. And we will right. be continuing that, um, into the future. Okay. Uh, that's interesting. So how, how does that work? Because I know that that's been, you know, at the beginning, before the pandemic, it was impossible to work from home because you have all these security measures, et cetera. And then obviously you had to work from home. And now all of a sudden it's totally fine yeah. to work from home. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things, and this was uh, a strategy that we uh, put into place. Um, our CTO, Saker Clipston, is very, uh, you know, he's, you, you guys know him and he's, he's really smart and just a real kind of like out of the box thinker. And he, uh, you know, really grateful that he was able to kind of cast into the future because one of the, and I just have to step back for a moment as we, as we expanded the BC footprint, what we found is that folks wanted, you know, to work in a nice place, the clients, you know, uh, time wanted to come to some, you know, you, you had to kind of be in one of these gas town, n- nice offices to kind of attract people. Um, right. And it really became pretty apparent almost immediately that the equipment was taking up so much space that didn't make sense to rent, you know, high end gas town um office space to put electronics in there to put machines in there and aside from that every time we did it and every time we upgraded we had heat issues just because those like the amount of uh, ac that we need to 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 cool everything is just not it was it was like we had to pay for you know ti and the building wouldn't really pitch in for it so saker was brilliant saying like this is what we're gonna do we're going to go all in we're going to find a location that can support our equipment, put all the render nodes, all the servers, and all the workstations in one location, direct fiber to there, and Teradici from the off from the office to the colo. So right. we haven't had, even before um, COVID came along, a workstation on or under a desk in six years in the Vancouver office. Right. And we were in the process of, of converting and, and rolling through all the equipment in the, in the LA and the New York offices to do the same thing. So we actually um, we were within a week of, you know, the pandemic rolling around, we had already had the security clearance for the Teradici boxes. And uh, yes, we had to make sure that we put things in place. We had to reprogram all the boxes and hand them out. But, when a lot of other places were scrambling to get PC over IP connections and, you know, kind of um, go through the security process of approving material being at a home, like our material is never at a home. It's still Mm -hmm. in the colo. It's exactly where it was (laughs) before COVID. So it was a little right. bit easy for us to convince and, 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 and we're still, you know, they're changing their policies and they're, you know, they're doing what they need to do and they're auditing. But, um, and since then, even, uh, you know, we've upgraded a lot of our equipment, uh, our gateways and our ability to balance all the, you know, it's one thing to have all the requests coming from one place, but it's another thing to have every request for information coming in from a different source. So there was a right. certain amount of tech around managing that and then also, you know, upgrading our thin clients and our boxes to support 4K monitors and to support the level of fidelity that we need as far as playback and 
streaming, but we've got it pretty much locked down. Even our ZBrush artists and our map painters, you know, um, which have, you know, those are the, those are the folks that really need low latency, um, mm -hmm. are able to uh, work from home effectively. And if they need to, for any reason, for team meetings and kickoffs, um, or if they just want a break, you know, a lot, a lot of the, especially the Vancouver, uh, some of them have pretty small setups and kids at home. And so they prefer to, <laughs> you know, uh, come into the office at least a couple of times a week. And we have plenty of, uh, of, you know, we, before that in Vancouver, just with the expansion and contraction of project-based visual effects work, there were times when we were like contracting WeWork to, to move people right. in there. And that was actually more of a pain in the butt than expanding our infrastructure to get people to, you know, work from home. Right. Well, that's, that's very interesting. So where is the Colo or can you tell me? It's in East Vancouver. <laughs> it's just, a, it's an aware. It's a, okay. So yes, it's in, in Vancouver. Vancouver now. So it just bring up some good questions. Now, you know, everyone's working from home or whatever is going on. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you moved to Vancouver due to tax incentives. Is that going to be a thing still? Do you still like, you don't have an office there. Anyone can work from home. They have to, they do, <laughs> they have to work in province and they're still, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, and we don't have a lot of exposure there right now. I mean, um, really big tax incentive places, even though like a lot of visual effects places are still working from home, you know, like Montreal are getting a lot of action right now. And there's two things that contribute sure. to that. There's the tax incentive, especially for, um, you know, the one thing about Vancouver is shooting in Vancouver is you know, it, when you're shooting in Vancouver, you can benefit a lot easier from the, from the Vancouver tax incentives. And they still work when people working at home. Like there's no, they have to be in the province and within certain, you know, and, and, and it has to be, you know, all that boring stuff with the CRA, the Canadian, you know, version of the IRS, but that all that stuff has all been worked out you know, and we're very careful about who we hire and where they are. It gives them more flexibility, but not infinite flexibility. And the other thing right. that drives people to work in the Canadian market of visual effects is the exchange, just, just flat the exchange rate. Just, just, okay. just the fact that the, 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 the rates aren't much different in Canadian dollars and, um, and uh, American dollars for comparable mm -hmm. uh, skill sets. And the Canadian, the American dollar is stronger, you know, right now. And that helps, um, the right. currency conversion helps. That's interesting. I mean, I just, I'm just hearing more and more stories of people just hiring from people from all over the world and not really caring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's anymore. definitely an interesting business proposition. Cause one thing that has gotten more complicated because of that issue is, you know, we would get clients and they'd be like, it has to be a hundred percent Canada. We can't, yeah, we can't give you the job unless it is, but that's become much right. more flexible because of that thing. And now there's, there's uh, much more complicated formulas that our EPs and our, our bidding producers have to deal with of, negotiating there's a lot of negotiating in the industry right now how much can i get in you know tax incentive and they're splitting the shows um sure. which is another um you know we've always prided ourselves on being one company even though we had because there's a bunch of different ways to do it we've seen people you know split off companies and have different offices and you know a lot of especially i think you know, in the early 2010s, you know, when that expansion was going on, the idea is that it was an office that was owned by the same people, but it was really a different facility. You know, sure. it had its own, they were walled off. There wasn't a lot of sharing of assets. There wasn't a lot of sharing of pipeline. I saw companies that would even be on different softwares for their three, for, for 3D in one location for another. And you'd, you'd just go depending on where you were and what you needed and what where your relationships were. We set out to do it differently, and because of the co-location issue, it's made us easy to... Our servers are synced, for example. Our license servers are synced. Our shotgun database is shared. Um, our uh, shot development and our shot review uh, um, software is shared. Um, so we had that in place, and we had been operating as one company, but... Even more so, you know, now that we are in the uh, the the world of teams and the world of, um, you know, uh, being able to contact each other at a moment's notice, 
those lines that were remaining are now completely down. And we have mixed teams, people being super, LA, LA uh, folks being supervised from BC, BC supervising from New York, all, it's all, you know, mixed, mixed together. Um, and uh, right. it's, it's actually working out, you know, quite well and even more pipeline unification and standard tool standardization than we've had, you know, previously. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I don't I don't know if you're actually in LA or Vancouver right now. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem to matter. Yes. <laughs> to, to be, to, for full disclosure, honestly, I'm in neither. I actually am in my home in um, in Bellingham, Washington, which is just uh, south of the Canadian border, about 50 miles away from go. Vancouver. So I'm in the United States, <laughs> neither in LA nor in Vancouver at the, at the moment. So there you go. So that's exactly the point. It's like you, you could be in Culver City, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. So um, so but I just I mean I don't need to get to, to, but is the so all these offices are sharing the same network, mm -hmm. right? In the same way and all the same assets mm -hmm. and, and they're all working out of that. So it's it's actually kind of great. Yeah, <laughs> really it, kind it of, really is a nice collaboration. We've we've you know had a lot of. Um, good movement between the offices, you know, folks who, yep. you know, tried BC and want to go back to LA or people in LA that, you know, want to go to BC or New York. So we have a lot of cross pollination, um, awesome in our offices at the artist and supervisor level. Um, and that's, that's nice to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do remember it when, you know, uh, with, uh, Mike Romy, I used to, mm -hmm. used to hang out with him oh, yeah. all the time. And when he, when he was, uh, you know, giving us a tour of Zoic and seeing that giant machine room that was, it was in the office there and it was like, you don't need that. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just all, thinking, that's yeah. all moved. You know, we have that space, but it's, you know, all the, all the, the, a lot of the equipment's moved to our LA Colo just cause it's, it's easier to, you know, administrate. We have, we have servers in each location and they're, just constantly syncing and we've written a bunch of tool sets to, you know, transfer information we can render from either facility as well as um, utilizing Google cloud services. Um, uh, and right. that's been, you know, also another thing that kind of helps us, you know, we used to be, we used to be so, so uh, nerve wracking from a business point of view to have to rent these because because the thing the thing is the challenge as a broadcast visual effects company for many years and now it's changed so radically with streaming was the seasonality of it you know um yes. we would get shows in the fall and then we'd come up to a kind of a, a october very busy time where there were you know mid-season finales have a little bit of a hiatus come back ramp up to the finales which were happening at the same time pilots were being developed and that for, for many, many years at Zoic, the traditional pilot season, which is green light at the end of February, shoot in March, deliver at the end of April, no matter how big this was. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there, there are huge pilots, Battlestar, you know, uh, Firefly, you know, you know right, these yeah. once upon a time, giant, giant pilots that were done this way. And so we'd have to really kind of figure out how we were going to render all of this stuff in time and projecting how much to rent uh, was really tricky and the utilization on it was not great because you'd have to, you know, it, it was such a fast turnaround. You'd have to, you'd, you'd end up having to kind of get it a month before and then keep it for the time that it was busy and then, you know, let it go. But then you'd have it like that would be partway through a month and then you'd have to pay for the rest of it anyway. So the utilization yeah. on those render nodes, aside from the fact that it was incredibly expensive and, and nerve wracking, uh, was low. Like, you know, I think we did it, you know, I remember you mentioned when Mike Romy was with us, we'd sit there and look at it and say like, ah, we're using these like maybe 50% of the time that we have the rental period that they're, that they're, that they're right. pegged. Um, yeah. And being able to split and, 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 um, distribute between all the colos and then, um, burst with cloud services, has been, you know, super, super, you know, uh, transformational for us, you know, and, and also the fact that the seasonality uh, aspect of the business has reduced because they just don't make the pilots and that there's not as much pressure on pilots for broadcast visual effects. There's mostly, you know, full awards from streaming services, 
you know, that we get put on either as a sole vendor or one of a, of a crew of vendors. So that's been right. probably the biggest transformation since we started Zoic is streaming. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good. So it definitely it makes is, yeah. things a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And it's helped, it's helped us make longer offers and keep staff people and, and, and it's, you know, easier on the, cause it, cause the other, the other, you know, problem that there's a, there's a people problem with the old pilot season model and broadcast visual effects, which is just like, where do you get people for three weeks, you know, you know, right. just to jam. And then you also can't um, really expect people, you know, the amount of overtime that would cause would, would used to, it was absurd. It was just not, right. You know, I don't know how we did it for all those years. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. imagine. I can have and it it was it was such a feast or famine situation mm-hmm. yeah. constantly, you know, and 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 it was kind of crazy. But I do remember like the the days, you know, when you know back when I was doing a lot more VFX, it's like of renting those boxes that just came with like you know all these blades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they felt they felt like concert boxes, mm-hmm. you know, and they just sat there and you plugged in all these Ethernet cables yeah. and hope for the best, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were loud as hell. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> loud, hot, the whole all the whole nine yards. Yep, all those problems. So you guys said you're starting to use some more uh, cloud computing as well, right? So you guys using uh, GCP? Yeah, yeah, you said? yeah. We have, and we've we've uh, integrated that into our uh, pipeline. So. Um, uh, we can launch directly in the render wranglers can wrangle from that. And that's all security cleared and everything. And then, you know, sure. the other, uh, thing that we're working on right now is, is real time, which is helping us, you know, um, with those render crunches, you know, as well, as much stuff that we can push to a final pixel, uh, the better. And we're starting to get into that right now. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I do, I am curious about, uh, about that, mm-hmm. uh, so obviously you know the real time has, uh, or the, the idea of real time has has uh, has become uh, a big deal right now, and you guys are definitely, I know you are looking into mm-hmm. it quite a bit, which is exciting. We, uh, uh, I'm, I've been de- definitely looking at uh, real time in terms of the virtual production ideas yeah. of what real time can us offer. So I'm very curious about your thoughts on that. So what what are some of your thoughts on on real time and how it came about and what which areas of this are you inspecting yes yeah i think that we're we're approaching it and it's a it's 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 a pretty wide open you know it's kind of a bit of a you know as i said before this again comes full circle like everything is so generalized right now you know we'll Mm -hmm. have real-time employees that are animating and lighting and (laughs) and you know cutting shots together in in the sequencer and just doing a kind of a wide variety of tasks which um, sure. is interesting because it brings new people in and also reinvigorates some people who have been in the industry for, for a bit. Um, so we have, just to give you kind of a footprint, we have you know 25 going on up to about 30 employees that pretty much work in Engine full-time um, at Zoic. Okay. We look at it as a different department that the other departments access when they need real-time material. And we okay. service you know, three different areas of visual effects. The first one um, is the interactive visualization area, which includes traditional pre-vis, um, tech-vis, and then also post-vis and editorial assistance for temps. And takes us all the way through that, as well as VAD, you know, virtual art department, you know, that kind of stuff. Look, de- We've been able to do a lot of look development inside of a real-time environment. It's quick, it's snappy, it's interactive. And this, 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 part of the, 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 this side of the triangle that I'm about to describe really is about um, interfacing with creators. Um, that has been, you can see the shows that we work on, you know, from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Firefly, you know, CSI, like they're all these kind of what I call tonally specific shows. Like that's been our bread and butter. When you have a show and you need visual effects design that supports the storytelling, Sweet Tooth is another show that we do that has that very specific tone that's carried by visual effects. There's a lot of discussions and a lot of iteration and having tools in real time to interact directly with our clients, whether they be supervisors or um, executive producers or both is really helpful for our relationships because we are a creative relationship focused visual effects house. 
that, uh, right. And so from a communication and a visual communication standpoint, it's proved to be a very, very good tool. And then also from a budget management and schedule standpoint, even though streaming, you know, you know some people say, oh, streaming is just like features coming to the TV. Well, you know, to your TV screen, it's like, well, you know, we've worked on both and Zoic does do feature work. We're known for our broadcast work and I've been in the business long enough to know that Streaming is way closer to broadcast than it is to than it is than it is to a movie for for a lot of what you know a lot of the work that we do. Um, sure, some of it is and 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 but a lot of it is is still very tight turnarounds and you know not a lot of time for iteration. So so visualization and putting in the look dev process and talking to directors and DOPs and you know all that stuff has been great for us. So we do a lot of that. Um, and it's important to us, you know, and it's a, it's an added benefit to be involved in visualization. We still do tons of stuff where we work with other previous companies, third floor, Halon, that's, that's great. We love them. You know, when we do it our own and we start in engine, we have parity with our assets and we're using the assets we're going to use in the show and we've written our own tools, you know, and, and using our, our visualization team in Unreal as a creative layout um, approach where we do most of our camera work, almost all of it for our, for our all CG sequences or super heavy CG sequences, um, and exporting that layout camera animation and block blocking animation. Um, mm -hmm. we've written a lot of tools and made a lot of deals with the asset providers, um, to be able to pick up where we left off when we go into the traditional linear pipeline. So that's something okay. that really helps, which is like, you know, uh, I think a lot of people have had that experience where you do the previs or you do your storyboards and like, that's going to be great. And then you see it, it out of the Maya camera, or the Houdini camera or whatever. And you're like, well, it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be in here. It's like, we're getting a much more one-to-one -one relationship between our visualization that we do in the prep and the editorial part of the process. And also just getting a lot of value and really, really narrowing down to what the ask is because a lot of these quick turnaround shows, especially when we do do something that's that's pilot, you know, and you're really trying to get something out there fast and you're trying to get visual information and avoid the dreaded place in the cut that's just a black frame and says, like, insert cool visual effects from Zoic here. You know, we want to put something in there that has lighting information, that has timing information, that has pacing, that may have some effects in there. I mean, it's never going to go to broadcast in that case, but it, it tells the story of what's going on. Right. So, you know, and working, you know, first with the prep to do the previs, and then we've developed a bunch of tools to render Unreal Engine or re any, it doesn't, it could be any real time material over the, the top of a plate and get kind of slap mm -hmm. comps and post, post vis comps together um, very right. quickly, which is super helpful for studio cuts and, and testing cuts, which, which is something that, um, is a challenge for broadcast visual effects, getting the, the effects story developed enough to, so that an audience that is expecting final visual effects can see what's gonna happening, but not break the bank. You know, if you say like, you know what, this scene isn't working for whatever reason, we're not gonna, we're gonna cut it down or we're gonna omit these shots. The typical Finances around that are jamming through the traditional pipeline and do temps as well as you can. And then any shots that get cut, get billed for hours done up to that point for partial work. Right. And so nobody feels great, even me as a owner, you know, charging somebody for something they're not going to use. It doesn't like, right. and everybody just kind of, and it really helps, um, you know, because the, the, the billing for that is sequence-based and we're able to get it close enough that they can make a lot of editorial choices without impacting the budget. And then we, it's an execution phase, you know, um, from that point forward because they, you know, you know what you're going to get. So that's one, that's one part of it is the visual, visualization piece. The next part is the virtual production piece, which, you know, is, is um, where we sit there as we're doing a lot of work um, generating assets for LED walls for shows and for broadcast. We're generating things for AR. Um, we're generating cinematic pieces for video games, animation pieces. I would throw that in there as well. Um, mm -hmm. And that's very, very interesting to me because that's a whole new deliverable a lot of times. Like up until this point for the last 20 years, when it comes down to the end of the day, we deliver frames. 
Like we deliver red, right. we deliver red frames. We've never done anything else. I mean, there's other backups and stuff that we do, but now this is a different delivery. It's an Unreal level that is optimized to play back on a wall or uh, play back in an AR application for real-time tracking. So um, that's another level of expertise that we've been working on. We've been doing a lot of work, and that, and that goes everywhere. It goes into, you know, sports, you know, uh, broadcasting, live broadcasting, LED walls for, for dramatic TV shows, which is kind of the hot ticket. Um, you know, the thing about that that we've noticed for broadcast and the thing that really does um, shock people when they first kind of get into it is moving a process of finaling visual effects that kind of operated in its own uh, zone between post and the studio and the visual effects company of iteration, iteration and flexibility. And then like, oh, well, it's not quite there yet, you know, or we didn't get the cut or the changes to the cut. Can we have some more time? And so there's, there's a lot of flexibility at the end of the process. Virtual production assets need to be absolutely 100% approved by when you shoot. And that yes. is a challenge that everybody's facing right now is moving this process up into prep and kind of wrapping your head around what that really is and what that really means. And for you know bigger broadcast shows that have standing sets or sports applications or event applications, these things you know are prepping months ahead of time. You know, and yep. um, it's not fix it and pre. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's not the same as like you know constructing a set, which is right. a, which is the allegory for that. But we're doing a ton of work there. We are not yet um, just because of the changing of the technology and the the expense. You know, um, operating our own LED wall facilities. We are right. we are a content provider, expert at generating you know assets for walls. We're working with Universal. We're working with Fox. We're working, you know, with tons and tons of people on tons of shows, um, and it's been really exciting. Um, so, but there's that kind of traditional virtual production piece, and then the third part of the triangle is you know what we're calling Final Pixel and what the future of rendering images out of a real-time environment that can be used as final composites or go straight to broadcast. Now animation, that's kind of an easier one. You can already see that there's you know shows that are being done in, in, in real-time software and there are some integrations to you know a, a real-time uh, in the current you know linear pipeline software that allow for faster rendering. Um, but we're looking at iteration speeds. We're looking at combining task groups and kind of um, condensing the pipeline, if you will, because one of the mm -hmm. things that really happens in real time is the ability for a compositor that's savvy to open the file, make a lighting change, maybe change a keyframe or two of the animation, address their own note, pop it into the render and go around comping on their merry way. So, <laughs> so it's really collapsing one of the biggest uh, log jams and visual effects, which is creative iteration sending material all the way up to the top of the inner the of of of, uh, of a linear pipeline and having it slide back down all through all of the different departments you know we we operate yeah. a, 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 you know and and you know we're we're doing what everybody else does which is we're automating that as much as possible so that you know if there's a there's a lighting note that doesn't affect animation and the animator doesn't have to open it and send it down to the next, to the next, to the next, that it should yeah. flow all the way through. Like, you know, like, you know, train cars connected to an engine, but we all know that sometimes that, you know, it ends up getting done by hand and um, as much as you want, you may not get what it's expected. So, yeah. you know, right now um, we're, I think this is where we, are really on the, the cutting edge of everything. We have a show right now that we're doing that has a ton of green screen backgrounds of a completely virtual environment that we're rendering all real time, all through Unreal. You know, we're converting mm. some of our stock effects, you know, um, that include even things like, you know, lighting uh, gags and particle gags and energy gags 
you know, into, into Unreal. And, um, you know, it's funny because another thing that's happening is as AR, VR, LED walls, you know, all the stuff around real time video games is kind of the metaverse is soaking into the popular consciousness Yep. We're getting a lot of shows that are asking us to represent what the metaverse is going to look like. <laughs> you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's kind of like this, like, like if you think about it too much, your head will just pop off. But, you know, like, right. like we're using these real time tools to visualize what people think the real time information is going to look like 10, 20 right. years from now, because that's on the forefront of everybody's. But you're already Mine. doing right. it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But we're already using the tools that they're going to do to do that, to, to do it. Yeah. But it's not really it. So, yeah. So that's just that's kind of a funny aside. But the um, the ability of using it as a production tool and using it to connect, you know, like we're really uh, – uh, are really moving on all cylinders to, you know, and we're not – I don't think we're overly ambitious. We're not – you know, forget Maya, forget Houdini. We're just going to go on Unreal Engine. We we love the work we do with Unreal Engine. There's a lot uh, currently that is you know of, of you know digital content DCCs. You know that we need to make our our linear pipeline work. And what we're really about is using you know the the engine to enhance communication, get the iterative process going, and render faster. You know when we can. But, you know, yeah. you can see that, you know, for a lot of the material that we do, it's headed in a direction where I see, I don't see, I don't see it going less. I see it going more, significantly more. And um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of support that we get, you know, from, you know, Epic in particular, you know, that has mm-hmm. been, um, you know, we get a lot of support from you know, uh, chaos group and all a lot of the other people that we work with. Um, but the, mm-hmm. you know, and that's great. Those, those relationships between the, the video, the, the, the developers of the software and the, and the, um, the, <clears throat> um, visual effects facilities is really important. And, um, you know, uh, the, the, yeah, I, I put Epic definitely in that, uh, slot of those that are really involved and really hands-on. Um, you know, class group as yeah. well. You, they've been, you, you know, we, you, you guys know, we do a lot of stuff with, um, that's very specific, that been super helpful. And we, as a, as a, as a visual effects company of our size, it, it means a lot to us. We're kind of in that medium size and, and, and because of that and the work we do, we do things a little bit differently, you know, and, um, it's always good to, to get that help, you know, um, from that, from the, from the development side. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I I I will first of all thank you. Uh, we always try to 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 do that, but it was very you know as you were talking about stuff here, I and talking about linear workflows and pipelines and like obviously the thing that I like the most about real time is uh, is specifically the iteration mm-hmm. and the process that you can do mm-hmm. right. So you can do fix things now because <laughs> you can see them now, and I remember specifically, and this is ancient history, but this is back when I was at. Uh, at Sony, and they were working on Polar Express, and they and one of the things they wanted to do was say, "Okay, the Christmas tree has too many balls on it; it's too busy, it's distracting. Can we just remove like these four balls from the Christmas tree?" And it's like, "No problem." It's like, "Well, when can I see it again? One week." Yeah. <laughs> Because they had to go all the way down this pipeline just to remove four balls, like that's insane. Yeah, yeah. So, so now you just just remove four balls. <laughs> well, done. yeah, it is. It, it's the note um, turnaround, you know. You know as well. Yes. Um, you know, if you think about it, you know, there's a shot, and you're on the ocean, and there's two ships, and you kind of got to decide. The camera's moving in between the two ships, like how what the speed of the camera is, and how close they are together. And even if you're doing like a play blast, you know, you're not rendering it all the way, play blast, upload the quick times, get everybody on, you know, mm-hmm. get in CineSync, make a drawing, cool, <laughs> spend, spend another day, upload the quick times. Oh, they're on set that day. Two days later, you look at it again. Oh, it's a little bit closer. But so, so the next thing you know, a week's gone by. And I yeah. do 
I mean, I just, I just, because that's, that's, that's my thing is I love, you know, communicating with people and, and solving, you know, visual, you know, stuff through visual effects. Um, right. I just love it because it's just like, I just, op- I mean, I do all my presentations in engine with the editor open and just, right. you know, run it and then move it and then run it again and then move it and then run it again. And th- there's, there's certain shots that we've done over the years, like, like, especially when they're like, you know, you read them in the script, you know, like, and the camera starts and slowly, you know, pans over, then pushes down, then goes under the water and then goes through the, you know, like you got all these, like these giant, you know, um, really cool shots. And it used to be like, well, this is going to be really great when it's finished, but oh my goodness, is this going to be a process to get this done? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially taking something that's you know words on a page and making it visual, and this this visualization part of the of the real time just is, makes it so much more iterative. I mean, I feel like when I do this, like like I'm addressing what normally would be you know rounds, a dozen potentially dozens of rounds of notes and a lot of frustration in in, mm-hmm. in like that much time. And and um, right now, um, the creators are very grateful because they're not used to they're used to managing their own expectations about how many bites at the apple they get. Right. Yeah. I, 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 you know, that's just the way that we do it now. (laughs) Nobody won't appreciate it as much. So I'm riting high on that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, it's like I, I've been saying is like, I want to make decisions when my mouse finger is still down and I decided what I want when it's up and not have to go through, you know, 117 versions of the light bike sequence on one shot. That I right, right, <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. You know, it was ridiculous. But uh, you did bring up a good point about the creators. I mean, you know, I there for a long time, I've I have felt that you know, this, you know, let's put it in in perspective. In the life of Pi days, yeah. there was a lot of backlash towards computer graphics, specifically from people in the production side, because it's we were this black box mm-hmm. that they would give their things into and they would get things out of it and they didn't really know what was going to come out of it. Now that you have started doing things in real time and you're enable, you're showing things in real time to them uh, and they're involved in the decision-making and seeing the process a little bit more with you. Do you feel that the, suddenly they're more, they're, they're more excited about what's going on? I think so. And I mean, and also the, you know, there's, there's, a, there's been a good amount of time that's passed since then where they, you know, um, everybody kind of knows that, I mean, it's interesting because there's two parts to the visual effects puzzle, right? Like the first part is a creative and things that you can do that you in visual effects, you couldn't do, you know, otherwise like have a tiger on a boat with a person, but then, you know, especially in broadcast, there's a certain amount of it that you might have a shot at doing practically, um, if you had, you know, the time and the money to do it and to rig it all up and to build it all, but it's just impractical because of the scope of it and you need visual effects to help out. And I think that um, that's really where we can, you know, make the most inroads and make, you know, friends, you know, there, there's a, you know, um, Zoic has been pretty good. I mean, it, it does like, you get into this issue of stepping on people's toes, like, the the production designer is still the production designer. The director of photography is still the director of photography, and that's part of the communication is respecting you know their part of the process. And I think that in the past, I think you're right. Having it, even if you made the right decision or the decision that they would have made, since it wasn't happening and they didn't have any agency in the process, there's a, there's a certain amount of resentment there. You know, a right. lot of times, you know, what's happening now is you know. Um, Broadcast tends to be very um, executive producer driven. Sometimes that executive producer is the head of the writer's room. Sometimes they're a director. Um, sometimes they're, they're, they might share those duties. But um, a lot of times the individual directors who come in to shoot an episode of, of, of broadcast television, streaming or not, are in and they're out. And they don't have a lot of time or, um, you know, the, 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 the edit room part of the process. You know, there's a lot of decisions that are being made. This is an opportunity for them to really make their mark and design the stuff that they're going to design. And, and, um, also, you know, a lot of times we'll go through and go to, you know, you have a lot more interactivity with the directors, 
I was just on a call with a director, um, you know, right before this call, you know, talking about some, a bunch of visualization we did and the practicality of shooting it. It's a really great tool because it's all scaled and all the cameras are simulated to see that, you know, and then also, you know, a lot of times I'll hand it off to the DP to take a look at and say, this is what we're doing. You know, how does this affect your lighting decisions? What can we do? You know, is it worth going back into the scene to, um, adjust the lighting or change the direction or change the character of the lighting or change the color temperature, you know, so, you know, they're, you know, the, the, the DP and broadcast often comes back into the process during the color session and they're seeing things for the very first time that they haven't had a lot of opportunity to look at, you know, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of decisions have been made outside, but this, but this kind of bridges that gap. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, the, call it what you will, the metaverse, the spatialization of the internet and computer graphics, but the way that it operates, and since so, so many people now have had experience, you know, playing Fortnite with their kids or playing Minecraft with their kids, like they know what this is and they see it and interact with it as if it is really there, you know, right. which, which is, which is an important different thing because, you know, a lot of my career up until this point was, explaining things that weren't really there and you can't really see and what we're going to do, you know, to make sure that it gets there on time. And I'm much, you know, this is is a much more um, tactile process. Yeah, I absolutely, I totally agree. I, one of the things that I'm, you know, I've, I've been very excited about, about real time technology and where, where it's going specifically uh, uh, in a sense, you know, to me, it's it's the way that I can interact with everything at the same time, and that multiple people can interact with things at the same time. I think is also an exciting yeah. part of it. But one of the things that I'm uh, that I'm sort of looking for in, in labs, and you know, and a part of the thing is is, is getting the ray tracing part of it as also mm-hmm. being part of the real time experience. So uh, because you know, I was you know I was sort of joking. I was like, in, t- I I try to say that in 2006 was the last shadow map I ever had to right. render, and I don't <laughs> I don't want to do I don't want to be forced into rasterized rendering again. But I do see the value in rasterized rendering for real time experience, and I yeah. do think. But I do think that eventually this is going to be replaced by ray tracing because yeah. that's the way it happened in the past. Yeah. You know, we had to we we eventually had to get rid of rasterized rendering when it was offline to full ray tracing, and I think that's what's going to happen. So I'm excited to see when that starts to happen. And that's sort of the it, it definitely is exciting. Yeah. And they're there, like I like that's that. I mean, every I think everybody knows that you know that's that's you see so much development focused focused on that. But yeah, that is a uh, that is a big hurdle that'll that'll come through because every especially because of um, where we are with LED walls. I mean, a lot of the job is optimization, a lot of it, mm-hmm. and it does feel like <laughs> a little bit you know of uh, you know a little old school. Like you're you're you know like <laughs> I think that's there's a comfort like it's so funny. Um, Chris, cause like we get two different kind of artists that really connect with real time. Mm-hmm. Like I said, new people who come in and that's all they know. And they know a lot about the, and they know about the engine and, and they're really excited about it. And they just like creating, you know, it's have the instantaneous creating. It's all they've ever known. And they're really good at, it and they're really fast. And then right. you get the other group and it's about a 50, 50 split myself included of people who've been working in the industry a long time and like the hands-on and they and they and there's so many things so many tricks that we learned in those rasterization days and camera projection days that we had to do because we didn't have time to ray trace you know we just had to get Mm -hmm. the shots out that are relevant to you know optimizing for real time and so that experience i think you know, for us that are coming from that side of the, of, of, of our career tra- trajectory is they feel like they're bringing a lot of value. You sure. know what I mean? They feel like they're bringing a lot of value and, they're, they're, and their experience on that is something that, um, that, you know, they can, you know, impart to younger generations. So and it, and it's, a, it's definitely a good feeling for sure. Well, that's, that's really, that's really exciting. Now we're getting close to the end. So I want to make sure you have an opportunity to tell us if there are any exciting things that we can look forward to at, at, at Zoic or is there any job opportunities that people need to know about or any of the things that us need to I see? mean, the industry is in a point right now where there is so much demand and there's so many cool projects that are out there. 
you know, we're continuing to work on the type of work that you think from Zoic Studios. We're working on a lot of um, Berlanti shows for the CW. We're on Flash. We're on Stargirl. We're on Legends of Tomorrow. We're going into a new season of Sweet Tooth. We're doing a lot of work that I can't talk about from a lot of other people <laughs> that do things like comic books and and, and, and other sure. TV shows that are that that you've known about. Um, we are hiring on all cylinders. We're hiring from uh, the top levels down. Um, I think yeah, mm-hmm. everybody would say, and I think that the one thing that I could say, the one pitch that I can, since you're giving up a pitch for for our for our recruiting effort here, is that people who do well at Zoic and who like coming to Zoic Studios are people who like to be involved in the process, that have agency, that like to be able to move, that like to be able to contribute to pipeline and process, and really be hands on. Um, we still keep a core group of of folks that stay to the show. We do pool some, you know, so our, our our animation departments, our map paint departments, but the compositors and the lighters, the supervisor and the producer for each show really becomes a team and a family and knows that show, you know, very, very well. And um, that's why, you know, sometimes you're working on a fairy tale. Sometimes you're working on a vampire. Sometimes you're working on a spaceship. We're kind of, you know, we're very, very broad in our creative approach. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we love new team members. We, you know, we've always, always, and we always are, you know, trying to make that balance of people who have been around before and a special uh, shout out to anybody who's worked with us in the past on a project basis and wants to come back again. I mean, that's always such a joy for me to do 20 years at Zoic, seeing folks that I really enjoyed working with who finished their project and then went on to other things and come back and we can work together again. Any old friends out there, I'd love to see you again. <laughs> Well, that's great. It sounds like you guys are doing some amazing uh, work. Obviously, you're, you're really thinking about the future of all of filmmaking itself, uh, which I think is really exciting. 